1: Welcome everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking about alcohol addiction today. Um, you know, al- alcoholism. You know, for a lot of people, beer and and wine and spirits they conjure up you know thoughts of like parties and social gatherings and you know just fun. But but alcohol is a nervous system depressant, and it's also associated with damaging behavior as well as emotional pain, physical disintegration of alcohol addiction. And and this alcoholism, you know, there's a lot of debate whether the alcohol actually benefits or it, uh, it hurts people. You know, the risk of drinking and passionately argue over whether moderation or complete abstinence is the best option for those who struggle with alcohol. So it's dependent on the person that's drinking if they want to handle the issue. But it's also dependent on the organization which they go to to get help. Because once a person is an alcoholic, they truly can't do it alone. Uh, they're too far inside the bottle to be able to get outside and and be able to be observant and be able to really understand the impact of their behavior has on other people, their relationships, their their everyone around them. You know, it's it's what is it? Alcohol use disorder, and that's the the term from the DSM-5 which is the diagnostic manual for mental health but it's a pattern of dis, uh, dis, disordered drinking that basically involves the the the, the bringing together of uh, daily tasks withdrawal symptoms discord in relationships risky decisions that basically place a person in harm's way there's about 17 million american adults that struggle with overconsumption of alcohol. And that's according to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. So like all addictions, alcohol use disorder is inextricably linked to complex uh, biology, sociology, and psychological factors. And there's a lot of research that highlights a, a genetic component in the disorder that makes up about half of, of uh, one's predisposition to be uh, an alcoholic as a genetic makeup. So people may turn to alcohol as a way to cope with trauma or other things, often unrecognized psychological disorders. Social, socially, alcoholism may be tied to family dysfunction or a culture of, of binge drinking. But excessive alcohol consumption is, is correlated with the increased risk of stroke, liver disease, and decrease life expectancy. In fact, binge drinking during only the weekends can provide enough of an assault to damage the liver. Uh, that 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 a moderate drink can interfere with with sleep's quality by interrupting the circadian rhythms and the REM sleep. And and so you know the first step to treating alcohol use disorder is, is detoxification, and that's experiencing the withdrawal in a safe setting with, uh, hopefully, with medical professionals, because following withdrawal, there's there's a lot of paths to recovery. The problem is you got to get through the withdrawal, and the withdrawal is the hard part, and most alcoholics that just drink to drink are avoiding the withdrawal symptoms, and so they, they're they drinking to, to stay away from having those withdrawal systems, because those symptoms can be horrendous. Uh, they can go through a, lots of depression, lots of anxiety, panic attacks, shaking. Uh, sweating, uh, just all kinds of crazy stuff takes place uh, during the the withdrawal from alcohol, depending on how long a person has drank. And there's a lot of organizations that provide the support uh, of of people, usually through meetings like Alcoholics Anonymous. That's one program. Uh, It offers a a very structured 12-step path towards recovery with a community of support from those who've dealt with similar challenges. So uh, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy is another path, that means your thought and behaviors are dealt with, uh, non-abstinence-based um, models such as uh, uh, moderation management which believes you just tone it down, you can get control of it and you can have control of the alcohol. And, and there's a lot of people that face shame as a stigma and guilt as a stigma associated with the conditions. And uh, most of these programs actually do uh, directly address those issues. Now, there's another program um, that's faith-based, and that's called Celebrate Recovery. And uh, that's an incredible program. Uh, I believe it started with um, Rick Warren or somebody in his 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 uh, 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 church down in Southern California. And that recovery is all over the place also, and so that's a thing where they're not just dealing with alcoholism, but they're dealing with any type of addiction that people may have, and so they, they, uh, they will go there and talk about their addictions. But, you know, moderate drinking isn't a cause for concern with most people, but when alcohol consumption gets out of control, you may find yourself on a dangerous path that will include addiction. So, you know, the signs are there. And so you have to look at the stages in which people are in to the alcohol. Uh, Usually the first stage is an occasional abuse and then binge drinking. So the first stage of alcoholism is is a general, eh, it's an experimentation with alcohol. So these drinkers may be new to different forms of alcohol and likely test their limits. And so in that experimental stage, which is sometimes found in in your teenage years or in your college years, it is commonly seen in young adults. So these experimental drinkers also frequently engage in binge drinking. And while they may not drink regularly, they consume exceptionally large amounts of alcohol at one time. And so that's, uh, you know, if you look at binge drinking for men, five or more alcoholic beverages within two hours. For women, four or more alcoholic beverages within two hours. You know, many binge drinkers exceed this amount, and this is exceptionally true for teens who attend parties where drinking is the primary activity. And why are teens so susceptible? Because they're trying to impress. They're trying to also uh, mimic their friends so that they can be accepted. And so there's a lot of uh, just very uh, innocent activity that's going on in their brain, but it's leading them down the path of alcohol. So you might think binge drinking is safe when you only do it occasionally, but that's not. That's way far from the truth. Drinking large amounts of alcohol at one time is dangerous, and it can lead to a, a, a coma or death, or you may become dependent on the feeling you get from drinking and find these, these uh, moments uh, increase frequently. There's also another stage that's called increased drinking. And so drinkers leave the experimental stage when their alcohol consumption becomes more frequent. Instead of just drinking at parties once in a while, they find themselves drinking every weekend. Increased alcohol consumption can also lead uh, to to other things such as excuses to get together with friends, to alleviate stress, to do it out of boredom, to combat sadness or, or loneliness. But uh, the the truth is regular alcohol use is different from moderate drinking. There is usually a higher emotional attachment to it. So the moderate drinker might pair a glass of wine with a meal, while a regular drinker uses alcohol to feel good in general. And so as the increased drinking continues, you become more dependent on the alcohol or at risk for developing alcoholism. You know... The next phase, and it's basically the middle phase, is when drinking becomes a problem. And that is the uncontrolled alcohol abuse eventually leads to this problem drinking. While any form of alcohol abuse is problematic, the term a problem drinker refers to someone who starts uh, 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 experiencing the impacts of their habit. So you may become more depressed, more anxious, start losing sleep. You may start to feel sick from heavy drinking. But you enjoy its effects too much to care. And so many drinkers at this stage are more likely to drink and drive or experience legal troubles as a result of their drinking because they still aren't able to judge how much they can take in. And so there's a whole lot of social changes to take place during this phase. Uh, one of the biggest ones is relationship issues, decreased in social activity because of the erratic behavior, the beginnings of guilt and shame. Uh, the sudden change in friends, and and difficulty conversing with strange people, you know. Uh, so, this person tends to box their life up and box people out, and uh, now they're becoming, they're making the time for their drinking as a consistency, as a, as a factor in their life. It is the time that they most look forward to. And then there's another phase, and that's the alcohol dependence itself, and so this is where uh, when alcohol has two facets, dependence and addiction. So it's possible for a person to be dependent on uh, alcohol, but not yet addicted. So dependence uh, forms uh, after the problem drinking phase. So at this point, you basically have an attachment to alcohol that has that taken over your regular routine. And you're aware of the adverse effects but no longer have control of your alcohol consumption. So alcohol dependence also means that you've developed a tolerance to drink. And as a result, you may have to drink larger quantities to get buzzed or drunk. And increased drinking has more damaging effects on the body. And so in this phase, uh, oftentimes uh, uh, they begin to experience the withdrawal effects. And as a person sobers up, they may feel stuff like nausea that's unrelated to a hangover, body tremors, sweating, severe irritability, a racing heart, trouble sleeping. You know, all of these are indications that they they are in that dependence phase, and that's a big problem because in that dependence phase, uh, the person starts to drink to avoid the withdrawal symptoms, and then the next phase is the addiction and the alcoholism. In this stage. Uh, they no longer want to drink just for pleasure. It's basically characterized by a physical and a psychological need to drink. So people with alcohol addiction physically crave the substance and are often inconsolable until they start drinking again. And they also may be addicted to other drugs, by the way. So, you know, compulsive behaviors are prominent in addiction, and people with alcohol addiction often drink whenever and uh, wherever they desire. So... uh, You know, what's the big picture? What is it? One of the biggest concerns with risky drinkers is that when they don't think they have a problem. So any stage of alcoholism is problematic. And moderate drinking is the only safe way to consume alcohol. But drinking in general isn't safe for everyone. So let's identify the problems with alcohol that it can have early on. And that hopefully this will prevent uh, dependence or addiction. Medical treatment sometimes is necessary just to detoxify the body of alcohol and to get a fresh start. And since many people with alcoholism endure psychological problems, individual group therapy also may help to overcome the addiction. So the deeper into stages of alcoholism you enter, the tougher it is to quit drinking. So the long-term risks of heavy drinking include liver damage heart disease, brain damage, malnutrition, uh, mental health disorders get worse, and and if you're suicidal, God forbid, that, that will definitely come to the forefront, and so it's really important to talk to a medical professional, your doctor, about the issue of alcoholism and where you're at and how to get treated if that is what you want to do. You know, you have to look at yourself and go, how much is too much? You know, uh, you're at a party, let's say, and you're having a bottle of wine when, you uh, you know, you're halfway through it. And when you discover uh, your designated driver forgot it was their turn behind the wheel, you think, oh, no, if I stop drinking now, I should be okay to drive the time the evening ends, right? Well, maybe, maybe not. You know, legally, you're considered intoxicated if your blood alcohol content, which is called your BAC reaches about .08% or above. And that can occur after two drinks for an average-sized woman and after about three drinks for an average man. But the rule of thumb states you stay within safe limits if you restrict your drinks to one per hour with a drink defined as a 12-ounce beer, five ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of 80-proof liquor. But, you know, that, that little bit of wisdom... Doesn't work for everybody. Not only because each person processes alcohol differently, but because a wide range of factors comes into play whenever we take a drink. And, and here's a just a few variables. You know what's in your stomach. Not even the biggest meal can take away the effects of alcohol, but food can slow its absorption. So a person who drinks on an empty stomach can reach a peak uh, uh, BAC level in as little as thirty minutes. And you may look at another person who's eaten um, protein is best, by the way, and they'll generally reach that peak in about one to six hours. But, you know, don't depend on food to keep you sober. It's the only result. Maybe it gives you more to clean off your shoes later, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if you're going to barf. That's what I'm talking about. Your body type is also another factor. You may think. Those extra pounds you've been carrying around will finally do some good. After all, everyone knows the more you weigh, the less you're uh, 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 affected by the alcohol. But in one of those annoying uh, metabolic twists, it turns out that the muscle tissue absorbs alcohol faster than fat tissue, which means if two people weigh the same and drink the same amount, the person with more body fat may have a higher BAC than the person with less fat. So, you know, the other thing that you have to consider is what's in your drink. Not all drinks are created equal. Drinks with high alcohol content or multiple types of alcohol can quickly boost your BAC and, once again, blood alcohol content. And so, in addition, carbonated alcoholic drinks such as champagne or alcohol mixed with soft drinks and hot drinks such as specialty coffee drinks are generally absorbed very fast which in turn increases your BAC. And don't forget about uh, the, the mixed drinks vary with the heavy handedness of a pourer. So, you know, depending on who's pouring the drink, uh, that's going to tell you how how uh, strong that drink's going to be. So that can go from person to person and place to place. Oftentimes, if you're an alcoholic, you're going to look for the most generous bartenders that have the highest amount of alcohol content in their drinks. So, uh one gin and tonic uh, may pack the punch of three from another person. The another factor is your gender. Women are at at a natural disadvantage when it comes to holding their liquor due to several factors that that basically boost that BAC level. They they you know women generally have more more body fat. They have smaller amounts of body water. Uh, you know body water dilutes the effects of alcohol, and they also have less. Uh, 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 alcohol dehydrogenase and and that is an enzyme that breaks down alcohol in the stomach and so this is uh, particularly true of young women this uh, they they also may have hormonal fluctuations that can cause a higher BAC prior to their period so uh, you know look at these factors there's also one other factor that's really important and that's your mood And if it's I need to drink, you may hear yourself saying at the end of a stressful day, but this cannot be the this this can be the worst time to turn to alcohol. Stress can affect the stomach's ability to process alcohol, which can turn and boost the BAC. So although small amounts of alcohol can temporarily seem to improve the mood, that feeling can easily turn to depression and anxiety as the BAC, the alcohol uh, uh, content, increases into your body. So that makes it harder to recognize when it's time to put down the glass. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, too much and and when you know it's too much and some of those factors. And then we're going to go all into self-healing and uh, how to take accountability for it. So come back. (laughs)
0: your world, motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and
1: network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about alcohol addiction. And, you know, there's so many people that have this in their lives. It's just amazing. Um, You know, I've had it in my life my stepfather was an alcoholic. And uh, I just, you know, it's amazing the impact that this can have on families. Um, it's scary because I remember he would be driving his old Buick Riviera down the street, back when they were made of uh, steel, and uh, you would hit, hear him uh, hitting the aluminum trash cans on the way on the way to the house, and everybody would scatter because <laughs> they knew he was coming in drunk and needed to go to the bathtub and and sober up. So you know, I, I tell you, it's just a. Uh, you know, these this kind of addiction also has its impact on other people. So it's really important for them to seek help. Also, um, the also the example that it sets is not a good example, especially for children because they have no control over this. And you know, if it's a parent, they they look up to them, and uh, you know, it's a shame that they're 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 getting that model for them. Yeah, all right, so uh, too much alcohol. Uh, there's other problems that uh, come forward. And how much is too much? Well, you have to look at your tolerance level. If you drink regularly, you you, you probably will develop a tolerance for alcohol. This doesn't mean you'll be uh, any less intoxicated, only, only that you won't show it as much. So leading to a false sense of sobriety for you and those around you. So that's especially dangerous mindset when determining whether you've had too many, saying you feel fine Uh, Won't do too good when a police officer pulls you over and gives you a DUI. Also, medications. There's countless medications including antidepressants, sedatives, antibiotics, painkillers, cold medications. Even aspirin can enhance the effects of alcohol as well as lead to dangerous side effects. So Keep in mind that even herbal remedies and supplements can interact with alcohol. Just because it says natural on the label doesn't mean it's harmless. The biggest thing is dehydration and fatigue, like beer. Beer is just tons and tons and tons of salt. And so that dehydration and fatigue, what happens is the person continues to get thirsty and drinks more beer, which is full of like drinking salt water. So dehydration and fatigue will impede the liver's ability to process the alcohol, which can also boost the BAC, uh, the, the alcoholic content. And so that's why too much time in the hot sun and too much cold beer can be a really bad combination. Also, it acts as a, a diuretic, meaning you can drink and your kidneys are directing fluid straight to the bladder, which can cause dehydration. So in essence, the more liquid you drink, the more you lose. Another factor to, about too much is age. You know, as we age, our body composition changes enormously. Uh, We lose muscle tissue, body water, and our metabolism starts to slow down. So we're also uh, typically uh, taking more medications than we were when we were younger. And these changes separately and collectively can affect your level of impairment and your uh, body alcohol content. So if you uh, need proof, just ask uh, uh, any 50-year-old how their body handles a six-pack of beer now compared to when they were in college. You know, while there's no uh, magical formula that can, you know, crunch your personal data and tell you exactly what your body alcohol content would be at any given time, but there's tools that can offer up uh, eye-opening aha moments into what we look like after a few drinks. Uh, 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 There's a simulated drink app that actually allows you to plug in some details such as gender, weight, and time period, and then see how you might drive ride a bike, or walk a line after drinking. You know, in some states, to get cited for drunk bicycling, although cycling while impaired might seem like a lesser danger than driving while impaired, cycling drunk is nonetheless extremely dangerous. There's nearly 25% of biking uh, biking deaths involve intoxicated riders. And that's uh, from a study back in 2012 and it was a government survey. In addition, uh, John Hopkins University reported having a BAC level at or above the legal limit raises bicyclists' risk of serious injury by 2,000 yes, 2,000 percent. Even walking drunk carries often overlooked risks. You know, in, in 2011, pedestrian deaths accounted for about 14 percent of all. Uh, traffic fatalities, and more than one-third of the pedestrians killed in traffic accidents, and this was, once again, 2011, had uh, blood, uh, uh, body alcohol contents levels above the legal drinking and driving limits. So, you know, when you decide to walk home after a party, uh, you may want to reconsider your path. You know, unfortunately, the moment we most need to make an accurate assessment of your body alcohol content is the exact time when we're least capable of doing that. So when we're drinking, it becomes the equivalent of, of, uh, you know, advanced math, calculated body mass times the number of drinks consumed per hour, uh, level of mood divided by… Uh, the amount you've eaten I mean all these factors they just keep coming into it so you know why put yourself through it you know call, call an uber call a cab call something and 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 let them drive you home leave your stuff there and then come back and hopefully get it you know whether you're driving uh, biking or walking very very important now you know if you if you want to try to figure out how to heal how to heal some people know when they're drinking too much, they feel it in their bodies, they notice the alcohol starting to affect their work and their personal lives, and they're having a level of awareness is is very important because it's easier to turn things around before life spins out of control. And, and this is where uh, low-level interventions can also be very helpful. So many people try cutting back or quitting on, on their own before committing time and money to a rehab. So research has shown that low-intensity interventions could be really effective in reducing the risk of alcohol-related disease by getting people to drink more moderately and stop drinking completely. So the methods range from you know, self-motivated made interventions such as uh, dry challenges. Dry challenges would be times uh, uh, when you don't drink and, and uh, giving yourself a time period where there's no drinking and, and uh, you know, there's also some other approaches. Education and awareness is a big one, you know, that the healing begins when we understand that there's a problem. So there's many ways to become educated, including books, articles, podcasts, uh, uh, um, documentaries. You know, one of the most historical... Uh, uh, popular ways people have gotten help through Alcoholics Anonymous is being in the room with others and sharing stories about how drinking impacted their lives can help people identify uh, where they're on the spectrum between social drinking and alcohol abuse. So it's a place to find support and guidance on the next steps. And if, uh, uh, if you ever go to like a hotel or a cruise if you see something called the Friends of Bill, that is Alcoholics Anonymous. And so that means there's an organization on board or in that facility. You know, I have to also tell you there's some biological factors involved in this. And this is uh, from if you look back in, in, in our the way we've evolved as creatures, uh, people – used to drink alcohol because alcohol was a way to purify the water. The alcohol would kill the things that would be in the water that could kill people. And so people felt safer drinking alcohol than they did drinking water. And so um, obviously you can purify water by boiling it. But you know, back in the caveman days, I doubt if they, well, not the caveman, but back in early societal days, I don't know if they knew that. Um, But the bottom line is, is that all over the country, people drank different types of alcohol. If you're in uh, Ireland, you may have drank uh, beer or vodka, uh, vodka in Russia, uh, wine in Italy. France would probably be wine here in America. Whiskey uh, and whiskey in England, uh, very popular. Uh, French, uh, the... the, the, um, Germans, uh, beer, obviously. So if you think about those populations and you look at what they were drinking, that if that stays in a family, which alcohol does, if that stays in a family uh, over many, many generations, and they eat, let's say in Russia they, or, or Ireland, they eat potatoes, so they're probably going to have more of a craving for a potato-based type of, of uh, alcohol or – If uh, they're grain-based, then they might have a taste for whiskey. If they're, uh, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables and fresh food, wine, they're probably going to be more uh, oriented towards wine in their genetic makeup. So a lot of it depends on where you grew up and and where your family came from. And I'm not talking about 100 years ago. I'm talking about thousands of years ago, where they migrated through and what would have affected their diet Because what they eat most normally is going to be in the alcohol that they like. So the alcohol of choice is going to likely come from the direction of their genetic makeup and what they ate as a family back then. And it's made its way into their genetic makeup. Now, self-healing, I'm sorry I got deterred on that, but I wanted to give you some insight from an evolutionary psychology perspective that uh, there's been a lot of research to define uh, the ties from alcohol back to diet and back to the genetics of what people ate. Um, by the way, uh, uh, before I jump in here, the other thing is uh, back in the 20s is when the United States actually had uh, uh, water that they could drink. So public, there was public water, and guess what happened? Prohibition. They 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 said, now you don't need to drink alcohol. There was a bar on every corner. There was probably two or three bars on every corner. And the reason that we're there is that that's where people could get their safe drink uh, that wouldn't get them sick. And so we create this public water and just shut down all the alcohol and say, okay, now you got water, so don't drink alcohol. And now you got purified water. And so how did that work? Well, prohibition... Uh, all these secret squeakiesies and all those like, people couldn't get away from it because alcohol is a part of people's diet. It has always been a part of their diet and you can't just snap and release it and all of a sudden they go back into their world drinking water. It just doesn't happen that way. That was a really silly uh, decision made by the government. It's going to take thousands of years for us to undo what our genetics has makes us starve for and that's in that alcohol all right now mindfulness is another technique and so you know research and this we're talking back about healing research has shown that mindfulness helps with anxiety depression stress and, and it's been successful as a lower level intervention in an in addiction recovery it's it's low or no cost and can be done without a therapist so learning these techniques which widely available and in, in workshops and manuals and books and classes Uh, workout facilities, yoga, whatever. I mean, it can be uh, useful to anyone to try to quit or cut down on drinking is to become more mindful of your automatic behaviors, your scheduled, ritual behaviors. You know, there's two big cornerstones of mindfulness that are learning to stay present in the moment and developing a new skill set for dealing with the unpleasant feelings. Rather than trying to soothe uncomfortable feelings with alcohol, mindfulness encourages the use of specific techniques such as breathing, visualization, mediation. And I got to tell you, you know, I'm not going to walk around it. Prayer, you know, your relationship with God. God doesn't want you drinking, drink. God doesn't want us addicted. That Ask for help from God. Ask for help. Because you can get it. And once again, that's Celebrate Recovery. That's another helping uh, place that comes through uh, the churches. Motivational interviewing is another uh, way to self-heal. So outside of therapy or drug rehab settings, this is often a single session intervention offered by a, a, a physician, a nurse practitioner, EMS professionals, people who are seen in the emergency room after a motor vehicle accident are evaluated for alcohol use, for example, may be helped by a brief interview combined with motivational interviewing. So the research has showed it's a significant mitigation in people who binge drink, This approach includes uh, several steps, including empathetic listening to their experience, paying attention to the way they communicate, working with the resistance, negotiating a new approach to the problem, and consolidating their commitment to make a change. And so it's a motivational interview. And also… There's a lot of screening that takes place for a brief intervention, uh, the referral or treatment. So, research shows that a brief intervention can reduce alcohol even when offered in uh, medical settings. So... You know, there's a lot of medical schools out there that are now training medical doctors in emergency medicine and other specialties on how to intervene by screening for alcohol problems and offering a, a bit of an intervention as well as treatment and then giving a referral for a specialty treatment. So it, it, basically how it works is, is a, a healthcare professional assesses a patient for out, substance abuse. A brief conversation with the patient follows, and if needed, based on two steps, the patient is referred for therapy or drug rehab where they can receive further screening and help. You know, uh, um, there's things like the Los Angeles Fire Department recently launched an uh, experimental sober unit to help the homeless and keep them out of emergency rooms, bringing them instead to a sobering center. And so it's uh, interesting that these kind of programs are taking place because they have a much bigger chance to help that person get through at least that withdrawal phase to where they have a chance to recover. Um, Diversion programs, you know, uh, that's another healing mechanism. So there's a a majority of people arrested for driving under the influence are not alcoholics. But participating in mandated alcohol diversion programs has been shown to significantly mitigate the risk of driving drunk again. So many states and cities have implemented this approach, especially with first-time offenders, in an attempt to curb their alcohol use. And so they often require uh, people to attend a class uh, in which alcohol problems, poisoning, related accidents and deaths are discussed. And slides of accidents are shown to detour uh, participants from driving under the uh, influence. So there's uh, usually a fine or a payment involved and participants will write a reflective paper on what they learned. So, uh, you know, community service is a big component and diversity programs have been effective with many populations from college students to health professionals to prison inmates. So, you know, sobriety challenges. Some people, you know, you have to look from the healing. Some people are drawn to the all, all idea of volunteer abstaining from alcohol for a certain amount of time. But the idea is that you keep people to stop drinking for a set time. It may help them minimize drinking, and it may improve their long-term health. If they cannot stop drinking for a short period of time, the challenge encourages people, you know, basically to get help. And uh, so that's called, once again, the dry challenge. All right. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about self healing but then we're going to talk about how our, the effect of health and alcohol and the diagnosis of alcoholism and how that goes about and what factors it can have on an individual. Come back.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed.
1: VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Showing and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to uplift your life, nourishment of the spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology.
1: Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about alcohol addiction. Some people wake up one day and know they've had enough. You know, more commonly, it's an accident, it's an illness, job loss, divorce, the rest, that, makes, uh, that, that acts as an intervention. And uh, when alcohol use is more severe... Severe approaches sometimes are needed to break the person's denial. So a formal intervention by a trained specialist can sometimes help families overcome the hurdle. Uh, but, you know, there's no doubt about it. Alcoholism destroys people's lives or families. It's progressive. It's, if it's not treated, it requires professional intervention and treatment uh, when it gets into those later phases. You know, while, the, the, while things are, are new— in your mind, if you're more aware of the alcohol problem, maybe now's the time to begin to take care of it. You know, a glass of wine with dinner, a beer at a barbecue, that's kind of how it all begins. And so, uh, you know, th- 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 even the US dietary guidelines used to be advising that people drink in moderation would not lead to medical problems for healthy adults and that it might even improve heart health. And um, you know so that that's kind of where people have looked at alcohol and just kind of excused it and then tried to look around the people that have uh problems but uh, there's been a lot of research that that's found that drinking more than 100 grams of alcohol per week and that's about yeah seven glasses of beer or wine is associated with an increased risk of death and uh And you know, an analysis also demonstrated that more than uh, the more someone drank, the greater their risk of dying. So, research has found that people who drink seven to 14 alcoholic drinks a week lowered their life uh, expectancy by about six months, and that people who drank 14 to 24 lowered their life expectancy by one or two years. And that consuming more than 24 drinks a week lowered life expectancy from to about four to five years. So, if you look at the specific disease, alcohol consumption can lead to an increased risk for stroke, coronary, uh, uh, heart failure, fatal high blood pressure, aortic uh, aneurysms. So, uh, you know, modern alcohol consumption did lower the risk of uh, moderate. Alcohol consumption can lower the risk of actually having a heart attack depending on the type of alcohol that you drink, but that's very small amounts. There's also uh, elements involved in health and nutrition uh, that uh, people who drink heavily are also more likely to smoke cigarettes, eat unhealthy foods, forego exercise. So, you know, it's really difficult to uh, discern if drinking is their primary problem. But whether their lifestyle choices are impacting health outcomes you know, the bottom line is, yes, alcohol consumption at lower levels may have more impact on health than we currently understand, but there's also a broad range of factors that inevitably contribute to each person's well-being. You know, alcohol is is, is commonly used to celebrate, to relax, to socialize. So when someone drinks in excess, however, uh, or, or drinks as a way to cope with stressors or avoid problems, it, it really can create... Uh, physical and psychological risks. You know, alcoholism in itself, it it, it cuts across gender, race, and ethnic lines. And so, you know, uh, uh, the highest uh, uh, about alcoholism, the highest amount of heavy drinkers are somewhere in the uh, uh, 18 to 29, and the lowest is 65 and older. So uh, usually... Those are the folks that are most addicted to alcohol, Um, but that doesn't mean that's not everybody. So, you know, bottom line is in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health, uh, it's defined as a problematic pattern of drinking that results in clinically significant impairment or stress. So I'm reading straight up from it. So drinking more or for a, a longer period than intended is one symptom. Also, continually wanting or attempting unsuccessfully to cut down or stop drinking is another. Spending a lot of time getting alcohol, drinking, and recovering from its effects, another symptom. Having a strong desire or urge to drink. Also, failing to fulfill major work, school, or home responsibilities due to the fact that you're drinking. And continuing to drink even though it's causing relationship troubles with families and friends you know, the, the, the parts of the diagnosis include prioritizing your drinking by giving up or cutting back on important activities in your life because they interfere with your drinking and you're too embarrassed to show yourself. Also, drinking in situations in which it is physically dangerous is another sign. Uh, continuing to, to drink even though a, a person has a p- persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that drinking has caused or made worse. Also needing much more than uh, once was needed to, to actually get drunk. So uh, the withdrawal symptoms, the trouble sleeping, the shakiness, the restlessness, the nausea, the sweating, the racing heart, seizure, sensing things that, that are not there, or drinking to relive or avoid those symptoms. You know, that's another part of this type of uh a thing, a diagnosis. So a severe alcoholic has six or more of those symptoms. A moderate has four to five, and a mild has two to three. You know, so when someone has been drinking alcohol to excess on a regular basis and suddenly stops, they're going to have the, 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 those head tremors. They're going to have sweating. They're going to have insomnia. They're going to have heart rate, anxiety, depression, fatigue, irritability, hallucinations, seizures, not all of that, but hey, that's going to come with it. And it's a serious condition, the withdrawal. And it also can be life-threatening if it's not treated. So it's important for individuals who may have alcohol use disorder to consult with a, a medical provider to figure out, how can I get sober without having all of these crazy side effects affect me? You know, um, there's also increased incidence of cancer, uh, particularly cancer of the larynx, the esophagus, the liver, and the colon. And there's pancreatitis. Inflammatory disease of the pancreas, uh, ser- uh, cirrhosis of the liver, or our fibronic changes in the liver. There's also uh, alcoholic neuropathy, which is degenerative changes in the nervous system affecting nerves responsible for our sensation and our movement. And so high blood pressure comes with this, and I'm, I'm just listing the top ones. Nutritional defi- uh, de- uh, deficiencies, erectile dysfunction, cessation of the menses, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome in children of women who drink during pregnancy, and there's also dementia that's related to alcohol. You know, so while the specific cause of alcohol use uh, a disorder is unknown, there's there's environmental, there's genetic links. They also the the factors the addictiveness, the substance itself, your health, your mental health. I mean, it just the list goes on and on and on. But you know, people that are experienced with this uh, know that they have to take on the challenge and. and uh, When you're seeking help for someone who's not unwilling, someone with the alcohol problem can't be forced to get help except under certain circumstances such as a violent incident that results in a court-ordered treatment or a medical emergency. But many alcohol treatment specialists suggest with a person that uh, has this kind of disorder is to stop all the cover-ups. Family members often make excuses or try to protect someone with a drinking problem from the consequences of drinking. So the best time to talk about drinking is shortly after an alcohol-related problem occurred. Choose a time when the person is sober, both parties are fairly calm, and there's a chance to talk in private. Be very specific, tell the person that there are worries about the drinking, use examples this uh, where it's caused problems include uh, the most recent incident also describe what happens next explain to the individual what will be done unless the person seeks help and this may range from uh, the the person refusing to go with the person to any social activity where alcohol be served or to moving out of the house so don't make threats that won't or can't be carried out that's not a good idea. So you want to find options, gather information about the treatment options in the community. If the person is willing to get help, call immediately for an appointment with a a counselor. Offer to go uh, for the first visit. Call a friend. If the person still refuses to get help, ask a friend to talk with them and use uh, the steps as described. But, you know, there's strength in numbers. With help of healthcare professionals, families, other relatives, friends to help this person, uh, you know, that the guidance of the healthcare profession itself, the group intervention itself, can be an enormously helpful thing. So you know, contact a support group. AA holds regular meetings for spouses and significant adults in uh, the life of a person with an alcohol problem. You know, um, Alateen is geared toward childrens of, of 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 alcoholics. These groups help family members understand that they're not responsible for the alcohol abuse and that they need to take care of themselves you know because the treatment of alcohol abuse works for many people but as within a chronic condition there are a whole lot of levels of success when it comes to treatment so some people stop drinking and remain sober others have long periods of sobriety brouts of relapse and in many cases a longer person abstains from alcohol the more likely it is that sobriety will be maintained so you know here are 10 things you can stop doing that may help relieve uh, pressure. If you can wonder how you can cope with a drunk uh, mother during the holidays or husband or wife, or if you have friends that told you you're an enabler, you know here's some things you can do. Stop you know, it's typical for alcoholics to try to blame their drinking on other people, including those who are closest to them. So it's common to hear an alcoholic say, the only reason I drink is because of you. So don't buy it. If your loved one is an alcoholic, they're getting uh, going to drink no matter what you say. So it's not your fault. They become dependent and it's nothing going uh, personal. You know, taking personal, when alcoholics promise they will never drink again, but a short time later, they're back drinking as much as always, it's easy for family members to take broken promises and lies personally. You may tend to think if they really love me, they wouldn't lie to me, but they become truly addicted. So you have to remember that. The other thing is tr- uh, try to control it. A lot of family members uh, don't do not do that. A lot of family members of alcoholics naturally try everything they think to get their loved one to stop drinking. Unfortunately, this usually results in the alcoholics uh, uh, feeling, uh, and the family feeling lonely and frustrated. So when an alcoholic or or a drug abuser reaches a crisis point, sometimes it's that time the person finally admits they have a problem, begins to reach out for help. But if friends and family members rush in and rescue the person from the crisis, it can delay the decision to actually get help. And so uh, sometimes it's better to let a crisis happen. You know, you don't have to create a crisis, but learning detachment will help you allow a crisis. And one that you may be the only way to create change is to do that. Also, if you're trying to cure it, alcoholics usually go through a few stages before they're ready to make a change. So until an alcoholic begins to contemplate quitting, any actions you take to help them quit will often be met with resistance because they're going to want to do it on their own. And so, um, you know, don't cover it up and accept the unacceptable behavior. And that usually begins with some small incident that family members brush off with. Just had too much to drink, but the next time the behavior may get a little worse and even worse, and slowly you begin to accept any more, more and more and more unacceptable behavior. So before you realize it, you can find yourself in a full-blown abusive relationship. Um, so you know, having unreasonable expectations. One of the uh, problems of dealing with an alcoholic is that uh, they. What they might seem like is a reasonable expectation in some circumstances might be totally unreasonable with the addicts. So when alcoholics swear to you and to themselves that they will never touch another drop, you might naturally expect that they are sincere, that they won't drink again. But with alcoholics, that expectation turns out to be very unreasonable. But, uh, you know. The other thing is living in the past, the key to dealing with alcoholism in the family is staying focused on the situation today. And that is the big thing. Stay focused on today. And how can we make this thing better? So you can look at this person as diseased. You can look at them a, and and call them an alcoholic or or whatever you want to do. But the bottom line is, is that uh, if somebody is an alcoholic, you're going to have to learn how to somewhat... Uh, cope with that disorder. All right. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. drgbmft at, at, uh, excuse me, at sbcglobal.net or you can get on the uh, Voice America webpage uh, on the Empowerment Channel and tag on to uh, uh, to email me through there. I'd love to hear from you. Now, remember, too much of anything is bad, but too much champagne is just right. <laughs> That's from F. Scott Fitzgerald. Also, If you're at a vodka, if you you happen to find yourself and you think you're in a bar but you're really in McDonald's, uh, you might say, a vodka, please, and then they remind you that it's McDonald's and say, okay, a McVodka, please, and supersize it. (laughs) Thanks for listening.
0: That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.